Yo, we back. I'm excited for this one here. I'm excited for all of them. But today's guest on Talking Back to the Teacher podcast, as you know, the only podcast where it's 100% acceptable, 100% asked for, but perfectly okay for you to go ahead and talk back, clap back, laugh at your favorite teacher. My guest today is the Dr. Christy McMullet. My story with her goes back to 2005. She's one of the first people I met at our particular high school in Seminole, Florida. So we donned the orange and blue together as classroom educators. But she did not stop there. She's added letters to her name. She has a new title. She has a new role. She's gone from high school educator to the admin building working with Avid. She's an author. I have her book. I love it. It's called Learning Can Stick. She has a little bit of everything going on, and she's not slowing down anytime soon. This is a good stroll down memory lane. We bring up some good former students that we've had great relationships with, and we launch Vision for the Future. We talk about our self-care. We talk about our children. We talk about growth. Let's get to it. Dr. Chrissy McMullen, now is your time to talk back to the teacher. Did you reach out to Tiffany and Bill? I've I've heard from both. I was like, this could be a lot of fun. Like I talked with Tom Martins. Oh, how's he? I miss him. <laughs> All right, here's my first question for you. you ready? Okay, I am ready. Tell me your fondest memory from teaching at Osceola High School. Mm. So my fondest memory is something that I use almost every day um, in my business now, which is ironic. But um, you remember I taught in Portable 16, which was about as far as you could get from the building, right? And kids were perpetually late to my class. And (laughs) one day I um, grabbed stickers off my desk just randomly and decided to give my kids a sticker. Well, it was first just to give them a sticker, right? Gave them a sticker and um, thought nothing of it. Next day the kids came in and they're like miss mcmullen where's my sticker and i'm like uh that was just a thing right like that wasn't like a everyday thing and they were like no no we liked it and so i said all right fine if you're on time to my class you will get a sticker and i would have senior boys run to my class to get that daggum sticker <laughs> and so taylor stanley if you remember taylor um, oh i love taylor adore her. So she came into my room one day when I was, so I was back at my desk and I had handed the stickers to somebody else and said, could you please just pass these out for me? And Taylor came in and she stomped over to my desk and she said, Mrs. McMullen, you give stickers. She doesn't give stickers. And I was like, okay. And that's when I realized it wasn't about the sticker, (laughs) right? Right. It was about the conversation that I had to have with each and every kid and put a sticker on their hand and, um, you know, ask them how their soccer game went or whether or not they asked the girl out or whatever. And so it was about relationships. And now fast forward 17 years later, and I give stickers to every adult I encounter. And it is (laughs) like smelly stickers, legit. And it is unbelievable how it builds relationships instantly. Um, I had one lady just tell me recently, I was at a healthcare conference and she said, I was so oddly excited by the fact that you gave me stickers that I am literally going to start giving all of my people stickers like that. <laughs> and it all started at Osceola. So what the, the coolest part of that story though, is Taylor called me probably, I don't know, 12 years after um, she had graduated. And she said, you will never guess what I found. I'm like, what? She said, my sticker book. I said, you're yeah. what? She kept 
every single sticker I had given her <laughs> and ha still had the sticker book. So that's my favorite Osceola memory. I love that. And let me tell you why I love stickers as much as I do, because in fifth grade, if you get an A, B on a test, quiz, whatever, we would get stickers and it would be a competition to oh, make yeah. sure that you have more stickers than whoever else in your class. Yep. And obviously, if you've got a ton of stickers, you've been doing your job and taking care of business. We fill up pages. We'd make a little sticker book and I love them. I used to give stickers to students a lot too and put them on papers because mm -hmm. I think I used to go to a Dollar Tree and they had this roll of a hundred stickers for a buck. Yep. And I was like, yep. okay, I'll spend five bucks, get 500 stickers. These should last a while. After a while, I was like, I should make my own stickers. And and we did at some point. Um, yeah. We made like fantasy football logos on stickers. Love but it. they're huge. It's gold. And, and you, you got to come correct. <laughs> right. So that's exactly how I use them now. So I give everybody a sticker when they first come into any session that I do. They have to earn the rest of them. So if they answer a question, if they have a great idea, if they share somebody else's idea, then they get stickers. And it is a competition. And I do usually <laughs> give them some sort of, you know, prize for being the person that has the most grown people get very, very excited about stickers. So my one of my most favorite adult stories about stickers is um, it just happened recently. I was with a bunch of healthcare people and the CEO walked in and he was very important, at least in his own mind. And um, <laughs> so he you know, walked over to me and, and what I usually do is I fan out my stickers. I say, okay, do you want grape, peppermint or chocolate? And he goes, they smell. <laughs> yes. And he goes, <laughs> I don't want one. I'm like, okay, no problem. And I can truly count on one hand the number of times people say no. So I'm like, whatever, you're fine. I kept talking to him, moved on. During my session, I was giving out stickers and I said, oh, we switched to orange scented stickers. And I kept giving them out. That man chased me down in the lobby afterwards. And he said, you said something about an orange scented sticker. And I said, yeah. And he said, I want one of those. Okay. <laughs> but the reality was he hadn't bought into me yet, right? Like he hadn't decided that I wasn't a complete lunatic. And and once he did, he wanted to be a part of things too. So mm -hmm. I think the, the moral of that story is that when we make people feel seen, they will feel not only valued, but feel like they can contribute in that space. I use my stickers all the time. <laughs> and Osceola High School, Portable 16 is where they started. I had two different portables at Osceola, but I remember, I remember where it was at, but you know, they did construction consistently on that school while I was there. I was in room 240. That was my first room. And then like 232, and then I was around the corner. And then I remember I was in a portable, <laughs> I want to say seven, but I was in portable three at Seminole High School. Yeah, um, no, there. That yeah. that struggle's real. Except yeah. I kind of loved being in a portable because it meant that nobody bothered me ever. Like nobody came to see me. I liked being in a portable because it was climate controlled. That's true too. I had an AC. You know, the AC, the heat. You can control that yourself. You didn't just randomly pop your head into my portable. You had to be intentional mm -hmm. about coming all the way out to where my portable was, and it's completely different than being inside of a building at the top of the steps across from the bathroom which was also diagonal from the copy room. So if anyone had a problem with the copier, they'd stick their head in, can you fix this? I'm like, ah, we're over here trying to factor some equations right now. Like, you want me to stop what I'm doing? <laughs> or you hear the toilet flush six times in, in like two minutes, and it never failed. And some students were like, hey, who in your flushing the toilet? I was like, that's not the question I want to ask. I don't want to nope, go in there. Nope, like, don't want to know. Just close don't the door because, know. you know. It's hilarious. So when I met you, summer of 2005. Yeah. You were okay. Mrs. McMullen. Yes. 
and you were teaching. Now you are Dr. McMullen. Yes. <laughs> and you're no longer in the classroom. Uh-uh. Not teaching high school anymore. Right. Question one, do you miss it? Answer question one first. Do you okay, miss so do the I high miss? school classroom? No. Question two is, what are you doing now since you're not in the high school classroom? So here's, here's I want to qualify my answer with that second answer. So no, I don't miss being in a high school classroom, not because I didn't love it. I absolutely loved it. But because I pushed myself out of my comfort zone and left, what happened was I was offered a position at the district office and I had spent two years telling my kids through AVID that they needed to try new things, that they needed to push out of their comfort zone, that they needed to open their eyes to all possibilities. And I couldn't in good conscience not do that myself because I needed to show them that that, that, that I meant what I said. Mm-hmm. So I left. And what I discovered is that my gift is with adult learners, not with kids. Really? Now, I am really good with high school kids. However, my gift is truly with adult learners. So that's what I do now. Um, So for 17 years, but 10 specifically working for Avid Center, I've been teaching adults. And they've been educators, Mm -hmm. large part educators, but all levels, right? Superintendents and and principals and teachers and counselors. And um, I've gotten pretty good at it, right? Like I, I know how to reach an adult audience. And so what happened in 2020 is, well, and it actually kind of happened before then, but you said, you know, I'm now Dr. McMullen. I got my doctorate for two reasons. One, because I was doing a job that was basically sitting on a dissertation. Um, AVID had written a grant to bring um, the system, the AVID system, to three districts in the middle of the state and play I wonder what would happen if. So if you went to this middle school, you would go to this high school and you would, if you chose to go to college, go to this particular college. And there was no wiggle room, right? There was no other option. And so we played with those teachers and said, all right, what would happen if the English department, sixth grade through college, were all using the same strategies? And, you know, how would that work? Well, it was a very easy transition to do a dissertation, but why the heck did I want to have doctor in front of my name? And I'll be honest, it was because I knew I wanted to write a book and I thought more people would read it if it, <laughs> if I had doctor in front of my name. So I, in 2020, actually wrote the book. It's called Learning Can Stick. Uh, it's a guide to make every learning experience safe logical, fun, and memorable. And essentially what I did is I took everything I knew to be true about teaching because I'd done it for a very long time. And I translated it into the business world because every single business owner on the planet has to teach people things all day long. Yes, you do. And they don't know how to do it. We've all sat through meetings that have been absolutely terrible and a waste of time. We've all been in trainings where we thought I can never get those 30 minutes back, those three hours back, those three days back. (laughs) And so I don't want that to be the case anymore. And I work now with, I do still work at Avid Center, um, but I also have started my own business where I am helping make work fun so people don't quit. And fun means that they know how to do their jobs well and that they feel valued and appreciated at work. So your book is called Learning Can Stick. Mm -hmm. My question about the title is, is it commonly thought of that learning does not stick? Or is it more of a, there's an art to making sure learning does stick? 
I'm going to go with both. Okay. A little bit of both. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's also a play on words about stickers, right? So if you look at the cover of the book, it has a lanyard on it, like you would get at a conference and a uh -huh. sticker, um, because that is literally how I sticker people. When they come in, I grab their lanyard, I learn their name and I put a sticker on it. But learning can stick to me means when you want somebody to remember something, there's an art to that. Right. Yes. And there is a right and wrong way to get your point across in a way that people will remember. Now, learning doesn't mean do I know the quadratic formula by heart necessarily. Yes. Learning means they do if they had you. Right. <laughs> but they never use it. They tell no, me. Right. This. So so the learning piece, though, is what do I need to take from this conversation that I'm having with you right now and keep in my brain? What about it? And so it's about getting people to process information. The safe, logical, fun, and memorable part is that safe means psychological safety. You know their names. They know that you, they can trust you and you make them feel like they can ask questions. Um, you have let them know that making mistakes is okay, right? So, so safe. The logical is that you have a plan and you and you stick to the plan, but you're not the only one that knows the plan, right? How many times have you walked into a meeting and you have no idea what's on the agenda? You have absolutely no idea how long you're going to be there, but the, the invite said an hour and an hour and 30 minutes in, you still don't know what the purpose of the meeting was. <laughs> That's not logical. So how can you be more logical? How can you um, give people information up front so that they know what to expect? And then the fun is the stickers and the laughter and the ridiculous claps. I mean, I have had grown people also say, you are out of this world in a random room of <laughs> like a 600 person conference <laughs> because laughter is what gets you to remember things, right? Yes. So if you don't evoke emotion, then people will not remember anything you said. And then the memorable, um, this will be a throwback. Let's see if you remember it is all about sprinkle, splash, flood, drip, drip, drip. Oh my goodness. Okay. I was going to bring up the training. Hold on. <laughs> that Is that Spence Rogers training? Uh huh. It sure was. Okay. Because I was going to bring it up because I remember being in that training with you. Yeah. Specifically because I think the day or two before the training started, I hyperextended my left knee. Yeah. And you wrote it on a note card because there were a lot of index cards. We drew a lot of yeah, pictures. Sweet. We used a lot of smelly markers. Now, we didn't have smelly stickers during the but training. We had smelly markers. But I can You're picture right. the school. And I can picture during lunch playing cards with Joe Blum, Bill Rasmussen, yeah. and Tom Davis. There were four of us. We were playing euchre. Oh my gosh! Uh, if 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 we can just throw back to some some classic names. Yeah, there. yeah. But I remember well, and that, that was training. At Oak Grove. It was at Oak Grove Middle, and um, that was two weeks. It was two solid. Weeks. Two solid weeks. <laughs> not that it wasn't fun. Not that the stories weren't memorable, but we should have laughed more. If yeah. we were there for two weeks. Yeah. And I think we laughed, but it wasn't, it was in spite of, not because of, or maybe at, um, but A no, the, the sprinkle of. splash flood. Right. So the sprinkle yes. splash flood drip, drip, drip has been the biggest takeaway that I had from that event. And I use it all the time. Um, and the, the concept there is, you know, the sprinkle splash is like the preview to the movie, right? That's the email before the meeting. That's the peek behind the curtain. Hey, you know, you're in real estate. You're going to come look at three houses tomorrow. Here's what you can expect. Mm -hmm. um, and then the flood is the information, the meeting, yeah. the training, the event 
event, but most of that water or most of that information is lost in runoff. So you have to drip, drip, drip. And you that, yep. you know, that one stuck with me. So there's a learning can stick moment, right? You've got to think about how you can get people to remember things. Maybe it's an acronym. Maybe it's a silly saying, but most people just don't do any of that. And they wonder why people don't get it. <laughs> one of my biggest takeaways were specific keys that we talked about in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I still have a couple note cards. One index card has a safety key on it. Yes. And in my role as an educator, as a counselor, the kind of conversations that I've had with students, especially after I have reminded them that this is a safe space, mm. you are safe in here from whatever you just left, whether you left someone who wasn't treating you well, a teacher who was rude to you, or you just are escaping home, you're safe here. And then we let the conversation flow. There's a lot of humor in there. There's always a lot of tears. We get, a, we unpack a lot. And I tell kids, sure. I'm like, hey, I'm not really your therapist. Like I can cram in a quick therapy session if you need to, if it's going to help you, yeah. you know, be okay to head back to class or if it's going to be okay to get you home tonight, like, or if it'll put you in a better place, let's do that. But I completely understand that. But that key, that safety key, kids can't learn if they don't feel safe. Students have a hard time um, engaging or even feeling comfortable around you if they don't feel safe. And right. it's not because of you. Sometimes it's what they bring from home or that kind of a thing. But I remember those keys and I have those written down. So that is my biggest, biggest takeaway. Yeah. Well, and that's why safe is first, right? So it's safe, logical, fun, and memorable, but you cannot do anything until somebody feels safe with you. So I'm actually certified in psychological safety and and know kind of the, the triggers and the things to think about with that. Most workplaces are very not psychologically safe, right? People don't know that it's okay to make mistakes and they don't feel like they can ask questions. And that is the number one reason why people can't have fun right? You can't have fun until you feel safe either. So mm -hmm. all, all of it is very intertwined. Um, but yeah, it all started at Osceola High. <laughs> and I guess Oak Grove. There. You mentioned writing a book. Mm -hmm. I have a copy of it <laughs> because I'm a fan. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Do you have another one in you? So fun fact, I just um, finished a tiny book. Um, okay. we're, we're calling it a penny book. So so the, the publishing company that I used is a partnership publishing company called Two Penny Publishing. I saw and Two Penny Publishing. Yes, they're amazing, um, mostly because they literally partner with you throughout and get you to the Amazon bestseller list, but then don't keep any royalties. So whatever really? you sell at that point is yours. So what I just recently did, I'm calling it a penny book because that's the new name for it but think tiny book so it's going to be a four by six like the mm -hmm. size of a picture and um it's kind of a teaser to what i do so it'll be called something along the lines of make work fun so people don't quit um and it's the aim concept so um aim aim stands for analyze improve move and i think you know if we think about how people do things we analyze all the time sometimes we think about how to improve but seldom do we ever move so the idea is let's analyze where you currently are with how you treat your employees, how you onboard your employees, how you're functioning at work, the well-being of your employees, and then improve on your systems. And that's where safe, logical, fun, and memorable comes in. Mm -hmm. And then move towards action. So I'll check back in with you. I'll drip, drip, drip. I will see you in two weeks, two months, two years, and I should see something different. What's that going to look like? So that's book two. Yeah, actually, you know what? That's a that's a fun question. I'm going to answer it differently too. So, my husband and I um, are marriage mentors, mm -hmm. 
That means that we have worked with 67 couples over the last five years as um, mentors before they get married. So really? our ch- yes, this is, this is that, is that through church? It is Harborside. So, I've yeah. attended multiple services there. <laughs> Such a small world. Harborside built a chapel for the sole purpose of outreach. In order to get married in the chapel, regardless of where you come from, background, whatever, you have to go through four mentoring sessions. And the mentoring sessions are not done by the pastor. They're done by a couple in the church. We have learned so much. Sessions are, the first one is your story, right? You learn mm-hmm. about family, faith, finances, foundation, and friends. A lot of Fs. Right. The five F's I say, and Jason always says, yeah, and fornication. And I'm like, no, that is session four. We do not talk about that in session one. <laughs> and then the guy laughs and we're okay. And <laughs> Can't lead with that. I get it. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the second one's on your design. And that's really about your experiences and how your experiences drive how you react to things in your relationship and why that matters. They do a personality test. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is kind of the meat of the sandwich. That is um, communication and conflict resolution. And so we talk a lot about clear as kind and the story I'm telling myself and making sure that they have the tools in their tool belts to fight fair. And then the the fourth one is uh, we do talk about sex and it's it's really about um, affection versus romance and how one doesn't take as much effort as the other, but once one's lost, the other's lost too. So how can you intentionally continue to date um, as a couple and and why that's so important? So I say all of that because we use a book called Mentor Us, but what we've discovered in doing this is we have a lot of friends who are 10, 15 years into marriage saying, we need this. We we don't have those tools, right? We want to call it Mentor Us too, T-O-O. The idea behind it would be, okay, so we've been married for a while. What do we do now? How do we, right. how do we fight fair? How do we, you know, so, so that's another book that's in me. And then the last one, because, you know, this, you asked the question, you opened Pandora's box. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's going nope, to be no problem. how to parent adult children. And it's going to be completely blank inside because there are no rules to the madness. <laughs> and that's pretty much the way that works. So yeah, it, it so I do actually think we can, I can get this one published because if I make it a journal, then it can be basically blank inside. So I think there'll be some prompts, right? Some things to think about. You know, how do you talk to your kids about finances when they're grown people? But all the oxymorons in the title make me happy, right? How do you parent adult children? You exactly. don't, first of all, you, there's no such thing as an adult child. And secondly, you can't parent them. That's not your job anymore. You can mentor, you can guide, you can do whatever, but Lord, it's hard. (laughs) But you have essentially adult children now too. I do, right? No, that's why I want to write the book because Lord knows I haven't figured it out. Man, I still can't believe it gets that old. I know, they're almost 22. Jackson and Chloe? Jackson and Chloe, well done, sir. Yeah, yeah. So Jackson and Chloe um, were three when I met you. If that puts things into perspective, just a little bit. Yep. Because we moved, we moved when they were three and I started teaching at Osceola that year and they were in the We Warriors, which was the preschool. um, And they were there until they were five. So you, you might've met them when they were four, but yeah, three, four and five, they were We Warriors. So you have a lot of irons in a fire. You write, you train, you speak. What does your self-care protocol or regimen look like? I don't know. How do you keep the health part of it, the mental mm-hmm. health part of it, the physical health? What do you do? Help us. Yeah. Help us <laughs> be better to ourselves. That is a, a fabulous question. So I have been an early morning worker outer for, hmm, I guess, about 11 years. But um, what do you define as, sorry to cut you off. What do you define as early morning? 
The class used to start at 5.15. The one I go to now is 5.30. So I get up about 4.40 to go. So my first boot camp was at our church. It wasn't anything particularly intense. Essentially, I was the youngest, so everybody was trying to keep up with me. (laughs) (laughs) Idea being, I was the youngest. People were trying to keep up with me, whatever. Actually, a week before the world shut down, I went to an event with my mom and they had this place there called Burn Boot Camp and it was fairly new in the area. So they were offering a free two week trial. And I was like, well, you know what? My guy's out of town this week, so why not? And I went, I think maybe three times And then they announced that the gym was closing. Um, Everything was closing. That was actually uh, St. Patrick's Day of 2020. And on the way out, two women were standing there. um, And I I looked at them. I said, would you like to meet in the parking lot of the church and keep working out? Because I'm going to go crazy if I don't. And they were like, yes, those two women have become my dearest friends. I adore them. We're now three years later. And what's funny is one is 26. The other is 38 and I am 46. So we span three decades and yet we are very, very close. And so your question was about my mental health. So I do a couple things. I'm I'm up early in the morning and I work out six days a week. That is my sanity. And if I don't, I am not a nice person. So it is not so much about how I look. It is about, oh my gosh, I, I will go bananas nuts if I don't do this. And then the second piece of that though, is having my, my wonderful husband who I can share all kinds of things with, but also having my girlfriends that I can also share things with that he wouldn't care about, right? Like he doesn't care what I'm thinking about how my hair looks, right? Like that doesn't matter to him. But thank God for Marco Polo. We Marco Polo, because one now lives in London and then the other one I see every day. Um, She lives in Safety Harbor. So um, (laughs) the three of us, that's my mental health. The working out makes a huge difference. And then being, choosing to be around people who are like-minded, who are willing to bust their tails and work really, really hard also keeps me sane. You said burn boot camp. Burn boot camp. Is it is it torture? Self care? Is it? <laughs> I'm trying to well, think. That I depends had on the protocol that day. Oh, I was going to say, is it is it therapy or is it torture? Is it therapy or is it torture? I would say it is a little of both. Um, more therapy than torture. And I actually, so I'm the crazy person that loves the cardio days, and I would rather skip leg day, but I don't because I know you can't skip leg day because we all know the person that skips leg day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're not allowed to skip leg day. You can't. Mm -mm, No, I actually genuinely appreciate. So, so the one thing about burn that's cool is the protocol is different every week, but it includes Metcon, you know, which is a little bit of weight, a little bit of cardio, body weight conditioning, arms, legs, and then, um, you know, whatever else that day might be burst, might be whatever. But the idea is you don't really like, it's not always that Monday is leg day. So when you come, you're coming for that particular protocol. So like I'm here in South Carolina right now and I, and it's a universal membership. So I went to the one that happens to be 15 minutes from here and did essentially the same workout that I would have done had I been at home. So to answer your question, therapy, Therapy. it's more therapy than torture. I've got a friend that's a a burn boot camper and shout out to Missy because I don't know if she listens to my podcast, but you might as well. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Now you have a reason to. (laughs) 
You know who else you should shout out, though, is Brittany Girk. You remember Brittany? I, of course I remember Brittany Girk. So Brittany Girk, who is now Brittany Crenshaw, goes to my burn. I don't typically see her because I'm there at 530 in the morning and she has littles and they don't have childcare at that time of day. But on Saturdays, sometimes I see her. She's, she's a sweetheart. Um, she was part of that ridiculous oh, yeah. class of 2007. Yep. I guess I can call her one of my students. I never had her in class, but she was one of my favorite students from 2007 class. I wrote letters to uh, my entire class one year. It happened to be like a analytic geometry class. And so I wrote a bunch of letters to that whole class. It, it was started a tradition. Mm. And uh, she had the twins. I had I had my, my and Lee win in that yes, class. Yes, yeah, right. I had them too, yeah. And um, so I had my in class. I didn't have Lee. But I would see Lee every day because she was Miss Nolan's TA um, down in yeah. uh, called Student Center. And so when they wrote these letters, they came and they were reading them. And Maya started crying and Brittany got mad. Like, I want a letter. And I was like, sorry, you're not in that <laughs> class. You weren't one of my students. And for like two weeks, oh. every time I saw her, she was like, I want a letter. I want a letter. Write me a letter. And I was like, what am I supposed to say? She was like, figure it out. You wrote 23 <laughs> other letters. Figure it out. So I wrote... <laughs> Brittany Girk, now Crenshaw, a letter. She was the only student graduating senior that was not a student of mine that year that got a letter. Oh, because my gosh. she 100% told me to write a letter. Then she drew me a picture that was funny and kind of inappropriate, but like hilarious. Sure. But, but it's Brittany, so. So Brittany used to babysit my kids, if that puts it into perspective. <laughs> from that class, I think three of my four next guests are from the class of either 2007 or 2008. Oh, that's... And they're all parents. Now I'm like, yes, it's, it's, it's almost surreal. If the burn is, is going good for you, it's going well, mm -hmm. do you feel your age? Do you feel younger? Because 40 this year, 40 has done a number on my <laughs> And I was at the gym this morning. I was at the gym yesterday. I don't know what's today. And I was there on Monday. I'm like, I'm going to make a habit out of it. I feel better now than I maybe ever have in terms of physical fitness, right? Now, I have fun injuries that I just kind of tend to ignore and pretend aren't, aren't there, but definitely healthier, yeah. mostly because I'm realizing I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40. And that is upsetting. <laughs> Jason, my husband turned 50 this year. And the realization of all of that, I mean, wow. <laughs> Right. Like 50, I remember when my mom turned 50 and that seemed So I remember old. my mom's 50th birthday party as well. I just remember it being like a, a great time. Actually, I am uh, listening to a podcast right now called How to Age Like a Badass. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm getting a lot out of it. This guy that and I don't remember his name, he's a doctor. He talked a lot about flow and how your brain opens up in certain environments and that you actually are able to learn more when you're older and... Final question. What's next on your bucket list? To fully launch my business. So like, that's my job. Part of that in my mind is hiring my brilliant friends who I have all over the country who are unbelievably good at what they do. And I would really, really like to be able to employ them in some way. They all have some pretty awesome talents, you included, that mm -hmm. I think the world needs to see. Any final remarks? 
this was a lot of fun. It was. <laughs> Thank you for just getting to catch up. And um, it's, yeah. it's always neat to talk to somebody who who's known you a long time, right? It doesn't mean that we talk every day or anything like that. Just, you know, I was a different per- I turned 30 in that school. Um, you know, and, and here yeah. I am on the far other side of that. And that it's just kind of cool. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. That's a wrap for this episode of Talking Back to the Teacher. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Christy McMullen, for your time sharing your expertise and your wisdom with me, and also for our stroll down memory lane. A couple quick housekeeping items. Christy's book is available on Amazon, so if you search Learning Can Stick, that'll come up there for you. Also in the show notes, there are plenty of ways to make sure you can reach out to her, contact her. So, with that being said... This has been another episode of Talking Back to the Teacher, your favorite podcast where it's 100% acceptable to talk back, clap back, and laugh at the teacher, your favorite teacher, me. Until next time, y'all be blessed.